Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, welcome along to episode 105 of the Howie Games Part A. I hope the sun is shining on you, that you're safe, healthy and happy and surrounded by people you love. Thank you to everyone who has got themselves involved by sending audio questions and comments to the Howie Games hotline phone number so you can be heard on the show. The first Howie hotline question and answer, it might be the last too, depending how we go, it will drop next week. It'll be in the usual podcast feed, so please keep an eye out for it. The phone number and explanation of what I'm on about, if you have no idea at the moment, is on the show description. Please check it out and send me a question. It's easy. Alrighty, what about this week's guest, Steve Smith? That'll do! That'll do for Steve Smith! Once again, the saviour! What an innings! What a champion! Okay, so how to describe Steve Smith as a cricketer? Let's start with brilliant. Think his 2019 Ashes series. Unorthodox, think the flourishes as he leaves the ball alone outside off stump. Courageous, think walking back out to bat at Lords after being struck in the head by Jofra Archer. Adaptable, think a domination of Test, One Day International and T20 cricket all around the world. Smithy is a champion. I've been fortunate enough through Fox Cricket to get to know Steve just a little bit the last few years through countless interviews and the odd social situation. And Steve Smith is a genuinely good man. He's kind, he's caring, he's really interested in the world around him, interested in people around him, and he's really approachable. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by This episode covers Steve from the early years in the net with his dad, forging your own path, Smithy's cricketing idiosyncrasies, a detailed chat, which I loved, on the art of batting, his late mate Philip Hughes, the most difficult of times and what Steve learnt from them, the ashes, and for me, most importantly of all, the work Smithy is doing alongside a good friend of this show, Gus Warland, and the Gotcha for Life Foundation in making a real difference in the fight against youth suicide. Later in the episode, you'll hear us discuss a publicly available video Steve and Gus have put together in this space. It is a tremendous, tremendous learning tool for schools. Google the Gotcha for Life YouTube channel. The details of how to get it are also in the show description. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seem like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see? They hold the key, could make things better if they try. Oh my Jaja, tell me why won't they open up their eyes? Before we get rolling, if you don't mind, just indulge me so I can tell you a story from where I sit about Steve Smith and through what is loosely called my job. I've been fortunate enough to see Smithy do some truly amazing things on a cricket field, but that's not what stands out. I want to take you to the end of the Sydney Test versus the Kiwis in early January 2020. Australia has just routed New Zealand. Steve, if you can picture this, was standing outside the famous SCG dressing rooms handing out pair after pair of his used gloves to a group of star-struck, wide-eyed children. Now, these kids were blown away. Every boy and girl there, it was like they'd won the lottery. They were racing off to tell their parents or their mates, look, these are Steve Smith's gloves. I've got a pair of Smithy's gloves. 
It was a thrill of a lifetime for these kids. And as a dad, I know if my eight-year-old cricket-mad son was presented with such a rare gift, it would stay with him forever. He'd still be talking about it. Those gloves would be tucked away somewhere safe. I can still picture the smiles on the faces of those lucky boys and girls and how excited they were. But more than that, I can see the massive smile on Smithy's face and how pumped he was to be surrounded by these kids and how stoked he was to be bringing them such joy. That's my main memory at the moment when I think of Steve Smith. All right, enjoy the fascinating character that is Stephen Peter Devereaux Smith. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me we want to reach Mount Zion. Welcome to the Howie Games. One of Australia's greatest sportsmen, a batsman extraordinaire, but more than that, one of the most lovely chaps you'll ever meet around the place, Steve Smith. Smitty, welcome to the Howie Games. How are you? Cheers, Howie. Good to be here, mate. Hey, great to see you. We've been trying to organise this for a while. Before we get into it, you don't typically reflect back on your life and your journey. How are you feeling about this going into it? Mate, all good. Um, looking forward to, to having a chat. Um, yeah, exciting times. We've been trying to sort this out for a while. So, um, yeah, good to, to be on the show. At what stage of the show are you pulling your guitar out, Shane Watson, Brett Lee style, <laughs> and really cranking something up and people saying, wow, oh, he can dear. play the guitar, this lad? Oh, dear. Um, yeah, it won't be happening, Howie, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, it's an unusual position the world finds itself in at the moment. While we're recording this, I'm in lockdown in Melbourne. You've got a little bit more freedom in New South Wales. The last time I saw you was walking off a one-day international against New Zealand. The last two were cancelled since then. The IPL hasn't happened. I think there was a tour of Bangladesh. Uh, the new 2020 comp in England has not happened. You're soon to go to England. Have you been missing the game of cricket? Yeah, I um, obviously had a bit of a break um, the start of COVID and sort of was a chance to, um, yeah, just chill out for a little bit and then, you know, get into a bit of a pre-season um, you know, I don't think I've had a pre-season properly since 2014. Um, you know, we're normally travelling and, and following summer everywhere. So, uh, yeah, to, to have that opportunity to, you know, get a bit of strength in the body, get some miles in the legs and, and get my fitness levels uh, to, to a point where hopefully they can maintain for a while um, is nice. But, yeah, at the same time, uh, of course, I, I love the game and um, am missing it and, hopefully uh, be back on the park in a, a few weeks' time. Um, you know, I'm starting getting into my work now, so, yeah, looking forward to it. How long did you go without picking up a bat? Was it an extended period? Did you take yourself away from it or did it just get you back? No, I took, took myself away for a while. Um, uh, didn't really do much for... Well, I haven't really done much at all, to be honest. Um, I don't need too long these days to get myself back into to the rhythm. Um, you know, I've been playing for a long time now and hit so many balls that it doesn't take long to to get back on the um, get back on the horse as such. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll start to ramp things up over the next couple of weeks before we head off to England. And yeah, excited to to get back out there. It's it's, it's obviously going to be really different playing in England with with no crowds and um, you know having to. I guess, isolate while we're um, in between games and mm. not being able to do anything um, outside of the hotel. So, you know, that presents a challenge in itself for, for everyone. But, 
you know, looking forward to, to certainly getting out in the middle, that's for sure. We had that experience for that first one day international. I remember I just arrived home from an overseas holiday, went straight to work the next day. And as I was walking in, I was starting to understand the world had changed just at the SCG, you know, the, the staff where you walk in weren't there and it just wasn't that buzz around the ground. What was it like for that first one day international? I can remember clearly from the commentary box hearing you guys talking to each other in the middle. It was like watching a suburban game of cricket. It was almost back to the roots type stuff. It was bizarre. A cricket Australia initiative. There is no crowd at the game today. Quite remarkable and unprecedented. Australia have won the toss. They've elected to bat first as they take the field. And it'll be David Warner and Aaron Finch. It was, yeah. You could you could actually hear. We were sitting. I, was sit, I remember sitting there waiting to bat, and I could hear everything that you know all the New Zealand players were saying out in the field. And yeah, you don't ordinarily get that. So um, it was bizarre from from that respect. Um, and then I remember. I think I hit a six, and they um, you know they were, they were collecting the ball out of the seats, and then. I got hit for six in our bowling innings and took a few minutes to get the ball out of the seats as well. So, you know, that was that was a bit odd for an international game. But, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's going to take some some getting used to um, not having the crowd there and making the noise and uh, all that background noise. So, yeah, it's going to be very quiet out on the field and, you know, you've got to find your own ways to, I guess, motivate yourself and, um, you know, get your energy up and, and what have you. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's go back to a young Stevie Smith. What drew you to the game of cricket for the very first time? How old were you when this game sort of took hold of you, mate? I reckon I was about uh, four years old, I think, when I, I first picked up a cricket bat. Um, and, yeah, I kind of just never let it go. Uh, I loved it ever since. And, um, yeah, I just always enjoyed it. And, you know, a bit of a funny story, actually. I went round to my, my parents' house last night for, for dinner and um, they're, they're uh, currently in the process of moving out of our family home. And uh, Dad found a scorecard of my first uh, first 100 I ever scored. Um, huh. I think he posted it on Instagram uh, today. Um, <laughs> it was a, I've got 124 not out at the ground about 300 metres from my house um, where I used to do all my training and stuff as a kid. So... Yeah, in the process of moving, Dad found this and it was, um, you know, he showed me yesterday. It was pretty pretty special and just sort of took me back to, you know, as a kid and just loving it and, and enjoying it. That's fantastic. Who were you playing for? How old were you? What are your memories of your first 100? Do you remember it? Of course you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, it was Illawong Menai. was the club. Um, it was the under 10 A's. So it would have been, I think I was nine. Um and yeah, uh, 124 not out. Um, yeah, I just remember getting to the ground nice and early. I, I always did when I played at home. I'd walk up the street. It was about 300 metres away and <laughs> just get there and get myself ready to go. I was always always pumped on a Saturday morning to get out and play with, with my mates and um, yeah, just enjoy the game really. So it was a pretty special moment to score, you know, 100 as a nine-year-old and my first one. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool. What bat would you have been using back then? Oh, geez. Um, I think I had a a Gunner Moore Cannon Professional, I reckon it was. <laughs> the old Steve <laughs> nice. Warbat. Yes. I think that was the one. <laughs> Can you remember um, trips to, was there a certain sports shop? I think for every young cricketer, they remember those trips with delight when mum or dad would say, right, today we can go and look at bats, whether it was the Greek Chapel catalogue or yeah. going to the shop. Well, what are your memories of that, mate? Yeah, I got 
lots of fun memories. Um, we used to go to Kingsgrove Sports. Oh, yeah. Um, so Dad used to play uh, cricket with uh, Harry Solomons, the owner there. So um, we used to go in and, and look for a bat and... I'd always say these are the ones I like, the couple of stickers, and then he'd he'd, he'd grab a whole heap of them and grab a mallet and hit the hit the ball, uh, hit the mallet on the bat, and he'd always say, "Yeah, that one's got good ping," or um, you know, "This one's no good," and we'd sort of eliminate the process to the the, the ones that I liked, and um, yeah, it was always pretty cool when you you got a new bat. Um, yeah, pretty special. I think Mark War might have worked. Way back at that. I think both Steve and Mark worked there. Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how much Junior would have been doing there, but anyway. <laughs> so what was it about the game? You said you picked up at about at the age of four. I'm lucky enough, as you know, to deal with a lot of athletes and the majority love the game. Some are a bit jaded by the game. Like talking to you when you're at the cricket and you're about to play, it's like you're still 10 years old. You've just got this boyish enthusiasm for playing <laughs> cricket, which you still have today, which is a wonderful thing. What was it about the game that first gave you that, Steve? Uh, I don't know. Just the a bat and a ball, and a, just a, a ball coming down at me, and you know having to hit it. I think it, I don't know. I just enjoyed doing that, and um, yeah, just just loved it. It was always that, or a tennis racket and a tennis ball um, in the off season. So always kept my hand eye coordination up that way. But um, I don't know. Just the the feeling of something coming at me and, and having to hit it. I just always. Loved it, um, whether it was a cricket ball or a tennis ball or, or what. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, just always loved it and continually hit. Uh, I remember I had a, um, I had a, a string, um, sorry, a, ball, a cricket ball and a string in the garage yep. um, that I used to hit and Dad had to put something on the roof because I kept going through the roof with the ball and, um, <laughs> you know, you just see all these red cherries up on the roof. It didn't look very good. Uh, it wasn't very aesthetically pleasing, but, um, you know, it was there to, to help me just play cricket and, and love it and, um, you know, I used to hit balls for, for hours on end. What were you like at school? Was Steve focused on school or was Steve focused on cricket or a bit of both? Uh, probably until around uh, year 10 I was, I was focused on school. Um, I wasn't the best student but I was, um, you know, I, was, uh, I did my best and then I think it got to around that point I started playing a bit of, um, you know, second 11 cricket. I was 16 when I first played second 11 cricket with New South Wales so... I was missing some some school um, throughout those those games, um, but uh, yeah, and it was it was at that point I sort of um, I ended up going through halfway halfway through year twelve, uh, and then I had to make a, a decision, sort of what I was going to do, whether I was going to sit my exams or or um, give it away and go and play cricket in England. Um, I chose the the going away and, and playing in England. I, I thought you know schools sort of always there if I want to come back and do my exams at, at some point then um you know I could do that but I wanted to to go away and give cricket a sort of a real shot um you know it was what I loved doing I was progressing pretty quickly from you know first grade into um second 11 cricket um so I thought why not go over to England play some club cricket give it a go and um you know see see how we go um so that was the decision I made at that stage and it was a difficult decision, but, um, yeah, kind of happy that I made it in the end. As a wheel, we'll get back to England in a moment. A couple of things from that. Where do you sit on the plan B? 
some athletes on this show say, don't worry about a plan B because it allows plan A to not necessarily come to fruition. Yeah. Others feel that you may need it because not everyone achieves plan A. Where, where do you sit on that? Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. And yeah, I certainly put, um, I guess, all my eggs in one basket. Mm. Um, but when you do that, you do have to, you know, you have to do it to the best of your ability. You've, you've kind of got no choice. But, you know, at the same time, people do do that and not quite make it. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the, the lucky ones. You know, there's, there's only been, what, 480, I don't know, players that have played cricket for Australia in, yeah. in test cricket. So, you know, that's, that's not many. Um, so I'm kind of one of the lucky ones that come through. But, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, you know, tell someone not to follow their dreams and... Um, or do it, um, you know, not as, um, not to their, their full potential or not do it, um, yeah, as, as good as they can. Um, it's a, it's an incredibly difficult conversation and, uh, yeah, look, I, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't advise either way to, um, you know, to pursue your, your dream 100% or to, you know, make sure you have something else in your life as well. Before you did get to the big time, um, reading a little bit about you, um, you seem to spend a lot of time with your dad in the nets learning the game of cricket, which is fantastic. Like how good is it to share a game you love with your dad? He obviously loved the game as well. I, I presume that's a pretty special bond you have. I've had this discussion with Elise Perry and facing her dad in the nets year after year. It sounded like you did a pretty similar thing with your ma- old man. Yeah, I was, I was really fortunate that uh, dad actually worked from home. So... You know, he'd pick me up from school and every afternoon we'd, we'd go down to the nets and he'd bowl to me for for hours. Um, and each year um, he would he would get a little bit closer to me. So he'd overstep the mark by, you know, for instance, when I was 12, he probably overstepped by half a foot. When I was 13, it was probably a foot. Um, 15, he'd, he'd be a metre over the crease. And I think that just helped me play fast bowling. Um, obviously, got less time to react. He wasn't bowling any quicker, but he was getting closer to me, making making my um, you know reaction time less. So that was the the sort of plan I think he had in place for me, and just to make it a bit more difficult. Um, so yeah, I think that just helped me in in particular facing fast bowling and, and giving myself that sort of um, that time that you know I think all the all the good players you, you watch them play, they've, they've got that sort of extra bit of time that it looks like and I, I certainly think that that helped me, that's for sure. Your batting technique has been analysed a, th- <laughs> a thousand times, a million times. It's been written about how does it work, how does he do this. It's not conventional. But I think what you have showed, Steve, is that if you follow your own path and you believe in what you're doing, it can really work out, which I think is a great lesson for young kids that it doesn't need to be textbook to work out. I think you're a prime example of that, Davey Warner, the way he came into the game. How, how do you describe your technique and the way you go about it and the way you make it work? Because I know when the ball comes to the bat, everything's where it should be, but prior to that, it's probably not what you would call a traditional technique. Does that be fair to say? Yeah, look, it's. Um, I think it's, it's, it's evolved over time um, and I sort of had to find the way that was right for me. And I think that's my advice to any young kid out there is, 
you know, you've got to be comfortable in the way you're playing. Um, there's no need to, you know, everyone doesn't bat the same and if they did, it'd be a boring game. Um, so, you know, find what's right for you. Find, you know, where you score runs and how you limit the ways you get out. I think that's important. Um, so for me, if I'm getting out the same way every time, I'm kind of happy. Um, if I'm getting out 10 different ways, then that's an issue. So, um, yeah, my, my techniques evolved over time. I used to bat on middle stump and, and not move at all. Um, I used to have a bat tap um, before the, or as the bowler was bowling and um, that sort of made my head drop and my eyes, um, you know, not be level, um, which is not what you want. And then, yeah, I was quite stiff and upright, so my movements weren't quite um, as good as they could have been. So... Yeah, uh, I uh, got rid of the uh, the bat tap to begin with and just started holding my bat up. Um, I was still batting on middle stump. And then it wasn't until uh, an Ashes test at, um, at Perth in 2013, 2014 that I uh, developed a, a prelim movement um, in the middle of the game. Uh, Stuart Broad and, um, and Ben Stokes were bowling quite short at me. Um, and I was just getting a bit stuck. So I thought, you know, I thought I might just try something. So I took middle and leg for the first time ever in my life um, and started just moving my back foot across and putting more weight on my back foot. And I started getting in, in these really good positions and I was pulling the ball well, I was, I was leaving the ball well, I was ducking the ball well. Um, and then when they pitched up, I was getting good weight through the ball as well. And everything sort of just clicked into place. It was, it was bizarre. Focusing. There's a pull shot, has he got it? He certainly has. Australia needed someone to stand up. And today, it's Steve Smith. Then I sort of just, I kept it. I kept doing it. Um, kept the prelim for a while and it gradually got bigger over time. Um, and then, yeah, now I, I probably was going at that stage from about middle and leg to middle. Uh, now I go from leg to about off or just outside on occasions and... Uh, at times it's been um, going further than I want, so I'd actually take, I'd randomly just say this this is two centimetres outside leg and I'd mark that and I'd go across to off. And it's, um yeah, a process that sort of evolved over time, but, um, you know, one that I know that I'm, I'm sort of comfortable with now and, um, yeah, it works for me and that's that's the best bit of advice I can give is find what works for you and what makes you successful. And the mannerisms you have at the crease when every batsman has a certain mannerism, the way they tap the bat or the way they adjust the hat, like it's like watching Rafa play tennis. Do you know what they are? Like could you tell them to me now? I'm at standing at the top of my mark. Can you take me through the different alterations you're making to get yourself ready to go? Do you, do you physically know what they are? Yeah. I touch my left pad, my right pad, my box, my thigh pad. And then I'd go down, I'd tap one in the middle of my feet, two behind my feet. I'd look up, I'd tap two behind my feet, and then I'd look up, I'd go one behind my foot, and then good to go. And what does that do to you to make you good to go? Is that a mental process? It's a physical process? Do you, is it a process or is it just something that's just developed? No, it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a process. It's... Um, the, the touching and stuff, I don't, I sort of have just, that's just become a habit. But the tapping is, um, is, is something that I'm 
really conscious of. Um, and I know when I've completed them that when I look up, I'm just in a good place. My routines, um, you know, I'm just doing the same thing every ball. So, you know, I've got no surprises when, or I don't feel underdone or I haven't prepared almost. It's like, that's it. My preparation's done, next ball. And then go back to it again, preparation done, next ball. So I just continually do that and, yeah, hopefully get in the bubble that I like to get in. What's in the bubble mean? Just in the the zone, I reckon, where I I feel just at ease and um, just comfortable. Um, you know, I reckon I've only got in there probably, I don't know, eight to ten times where I just feel like you're going to have to do something pretty special to get me out today. Um because I'm not, I, I don't feel like I'm going to make a mistake. So, being in that zone where you just, just know that you're on, um, and yeah, like I said, it's going to take something good to get rid of you. I'm loving this discussion about batting. So I want to talk about it some more with you, mate. It's it's fascinating. So when the bowlers at the top is marked, you've completed those routines. You're on. You're ready to go. What are you focusing on as the bowler starts coming towards you? Say we're talking a quick bowler now, for example. No, just watch him run in. Um, I probably don't focus completely until he's, I don't know, halfway in his mark. And then I sort of switch myself on and um, I get a few, um, I do like two sort of dips with my, um, like my legs. I I sort of try and switch my glutes on a bit. Um, And then I'm just focusing on on that ball, watching the ball as closely as I can. you know, and that's for me the the most important thing. Uh, if you're not watching the ball close, then you know you're wasting your time. And taking it back a step, you in the change rooms. Describe your personality in the change room. Are you nervous like Mike Hussey? Are you going to sleep like Mark War? Are you somewhere in between? And what are you working on before you go out to back? Because it's unusual. Because you're talking about Federer. He knows it. Seven ten. He's walking out on court. Yeah. You may not even walk out on court for want of a better term that day or you could be in three balls into the day. So how do you go about dealing with the anxiety, stress, or does that not come into it? Yeah, um, I like watching every ball. If I'm in next, I don't feel comfortable um, not watching. Right. So, you know, even if I have to duck off to the bathroom or something, um, I'd run really quickly, make sure I go and try not to, you know, you miss a ball here and there, but I hate doing it. Um, So, yeah, I'm pretty – it's almost – when I'm waiting to bat, I'm actually watching the game as if I'm out there. Um, So that that actually uh, wore me down a fair bit over last summer. I was waiting to bat for such long periods of time. Oh, bloody Um, Marnus. Wouldn't get out. Yeah, Marnus and and Davey and – um, Joe Burns, I think, at one point was was playing well. So it was, um, yeah, I was waiting for for long periods of time. It actually drains you. It probably drains me more than when I'm out there because um, I am just, you know, just what watching so closely and trying to see what's going on, what the ball's doing, um, how the wicket's playing, just summing everything up and getting it ready for for when I need to go out and face it. Your very first Test match. Um, against Pakistan in England of all places, you were, which general cricket fans know, but the average sports fan wouldn't know, you came in at number eight. You were a leg-spinning batsman, Smitty. Um, 
the, I was looking at the photos today of you and your bag of green. You got a massive cheesy grin on your face. What was it like the first time you handed the bag of green? Did um, did Ricky give it to you? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, obviously a, a really special moment. Um, yeah, to receive the bag of green was, you know, a childhood dream coming true. Um, little did I know that I'd be doing it as a spinner. Um, that never really. That probably wasn't my first thought, um, but yeah, look, what a um, to sort of work my way through the grades and, and make my way to you know the Australian team, playing with getting my hat presented to me by Ricky Ponting. Like I was watching him as a kid, like he, he's probably he's close to the back end of his career in a way, and you know watched him as a kid and you know admired him so greatly that you know that was that was special to to receive my cap off him and be playing with, um, you know, some amazing players and, uh, yeah, wearing the baggy green for the first time was, um, you know, incredibly special and certainly a day I'll never forget. Back to Smitty in a moment. Next up on the show, I'm pumped about this episode, a man that has lived a life and a half, Mark Philippoussis. The man known as the Scud is an absolute belter of a blow. He is such an impressive fella who has learnt so many lessons about life on his journey. His description of the Davis Cup finals he was involved in gave me goosebumps. Mark's now happily married and a father of two. He is very, very reflective in the episode and tells some truly incredible stories about how strange life can become where anything you want, anything at all, you can get. In a weird way, you don't hear no. You know what I mean? I do. Like, I, I... You have an agent for everything. You don't do anything except pl- go on and play tennis. Yeah, the, there's someone that grabs your rackets, he puts your rackets in, what, what's attention? Seven rackets, he picks them up, it's in your hands. They're already wrapped, everything's already done. They're in your bag, your you clothes are sent to you, they're brand new, they're in the plastic. All you do is take them out and you take the wrapping, you throw them. Everything's done to you. I wanted the, the, the hotels are done, the, your, don't care, I'm not even talking about about complaining, I was blessed. I'm just telling you the yes. reality of what it is, right? You don't hear no. I want to, this, so-and-so wants you to play their tournament. They're giving you this amount of money to play the tournament. Like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want money. I want a black Porsche, the new Porsche in black on black. So I'm, I'm, it sounds ridiculous and it is ridiculous, but the fact is it was what was happening. And the, and the stupid thing was, that that it was happening. You know what I mean? That I could I ask for it and it was no, no. I don't, but he's like, but he's going to give you the money. You can go buy it. Ah, oh, it hasn't come out yet. I want, I want it to be the, get it delivered. I want the first one to, it was stupid shit like that, man. How are we? I'm just being honest with you. That's Mark Philippoussis next up on the show. All right, back to Steve. So that old Paul Kelly song from Little Things, Big Things Grow. Your first test match, batted eight. He made one. Scampers through for the single that gets him off the mark. It's his first test run. And didn't bowl in the first innings. So, because you knocked him over cheaply. Yep. And then you got, I think, 12, but you got three for 51. So who was your first test wicket, Smitty, in there as the vicious leg spinner? It was Imran Farhat. It was a... Filthy drag down, um, <laughs> and he pulled it straight to my good mate Phil Phil Hughes. Right. Yep. <laughs> so 
yeah, one of probably a few too many drag downs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, leggies can get wickets that way, fortunately. But, um, yeah, I'll take it. So, mate, your test career, again, I was looking at the stats and the great Laurie Colliver, who works with on the cricket, was giving me a few stats. When you made your maiden 100, which we'll get to, I don't want to talk too many cricket specifics with you, but 138 not out versus England at the Oval. Prior to that, you played 11 tests and you're averaging 29 and a half. How were you going as a test player in those first 11 test matches? Yeah, I was, I was kind of, um, obviously I played the first two as a spinner um, and then I came in at number six I was batting. Um, the three tests in 2010-11 against uh, England uh, in, in the Ashes um, where I was kind of, I was kind of like a bits and pieces player, um, you know, bowling a little bit, batting at six, you know, fielded pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of a bits and pieces player and I never never really cracked it. Um, and I remember I got my um, – so I got 50 not out, I think it was, in the the my, my fifth test, which was the fifth test of that Ashes series. Um, and I remember a few weeks later there was a tour um, or the squad announced for the tour going to Sri Lanka and uh, I got the call from – Andrew Hilditch saying that I wasn't going to be part of the, the test squad. And that, um, yeah, that hurt. Like, I, you know, I got 50 not out. I thought, geez, I might make myself, you know, I might be on the plane. I, I was yeah. um, happy with that. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I certainly hadn't done enough. I wasn't, I wasn't playing well enough and, um, and I, needed to, I needed to improve. So, um, you know, I was thankful and grateful that I got that opportunity to see what test cricket was like um, and that gave me, um, you know, an idea of, of what I needed to work on um, and that was when I went back to, to New South Wales um, and uh, I sort of said, look, I'm, I'm not bowling anymore. I just want to focus on my batting. I thought, you know, my batting's what I've mm-hmm. always loved and I think that's my way to get back into the Australian side. So, um, yeah, I, I just started working on my batting and put my bowling to the side and just spent hours and hours in the nets. And, uh, yeah, everything sort of, you know, I found a way to, to be successful at the first class level to begin with and, um, you know, started scoring some big runs there and then, yeah, broke my way into into the test side again. Um in uh, India, uh, I think I played a game. Um, we played a shield match at uh, against WA at uh, Blacktown, and the wicket was was spinning quite a bit in the second innings, I think. And I got seventy odd, I reckon. And I think Justin Langer was the batting coach at that stage uh, of the Australian side, and I think he probably said something to. He was the coach of WA, um, and he probably said something to you know, selectors or something that I could play spin or, or something like that and sort of managed to get my way on the uh, the Indian tour. Um, and then, yeah, my, my first test back as just a, a full-time batter was the, um, the I guess, infamous uh, homework oh, gate test course. match. With Watto um, and Uzi and those boys. Yeah, Watto and Uzi missed out, um, Mitch Johnson, I think. And right. Yeah, that was that was my opportunity. That was my... my uh, you know, first crack back at it and um, got 92 in the, the first innings there, um, batted really well and threw away, an, threw away another 100. Um, but, but um, yeah, to, to play the way I did, I was, I was pretty happy in, in those conditions and then I think I got 
46 in the second test on a on a filthy wicket in Delhi. Um, and then, yeah, I thought, geez, um, we had an Ashes, there was an Ashes tour coming up and I thought, oh, you know, I've, surely I've, I've done enough to, to get on that. And, and then I got told um, that I wasn't going to be on that tour, um, that I wasn't picked. So that sort of hurt. I, I was kind of um, earmarked in a way as a bit of a, um, just a good player of spin, but I couldn't play pace in a way. And I was like, that's no good. So um, we ended up going on the – we had an Australia A tour in, in England and Ireland and Scotland. And um, I think it was at the same time as the Champions Trophy was on in, in England as well. So yeah. uh, all of the test-only players were on the A tour. So I think there was like Brad Haddon, Siddle, Ryan Harris. Um, yeah, all those guys. So – I was part of that, and I scored a, a hundred against uh, Ireland on a on the first morning. I think they sent us in. It was it was a green wicket, and ball was doing plenty, and um, I got a hundred there and batted really well. And I think that got me eventually picked on the Ashes tour. They they added a few people at the back end of of that tour. Um, myself and Ashton Agar, I think, were the two that got added. And yeah, I ended up playing in that first Test match and. Uh, Sort of the rest was was history in a way. Before we get to to the hundred that I was asking about, your first test hundred, cricket is a game where no matter how you're going, unfortunately, as a batsman, failure is only one ball away. It sounds like a harsh word, but yeah, how do you deal with failure? How do you deal with those knockbacks early in your career? I think you've got to accept it that particularly in particularly in shorter formats of the game, um, you're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. So you just accept it in a way that it's going to happen. And, yeah, of course, you're down and out when you get out and, um, you know, you're upset. Um, but I guess one thing I've sort of learned along the way is um, I've been able to sort of teach myself to catch my thoughts um, before I do them uh, when I'm batting. So um, I think sometimes I give in to, to my urges and, um and sort of, um, you know, can play a rash shot here and there. But a lot of the time I'm, I'm catching my thoughts and thinking, you know, I might have someone running in at me and I'm like, I just want to hit this guy for six. Like, and I feel like I can and I probably will eight out of ten times maybe. But yeah. if, it's a, if it's the other two out of ten, how does that look? I'm, you know, I'm going to be angry at myself. I'm going to be kicking cans in the change room and, um, you know, upset. So... Um, I'm able to sort of say right now, this Stephen, this isn't the right thing to do. Let's switch back on and, and just play the ball. Um, so that's one thing I've sort of learned along the way and, and it's helped me sort of progress. Um, I certainly made a lot more mistakes batting when I was younger and just being able to teach myself that and, and to be able to catch my thoughts is um, and control my urges is, um, you know, a huge part of, um, I guess, uh, helping me develop and, and get to, I guess, where I've got to. It's a wonderful explanation of catching your thoughts. I've never heard it explained that way, mate. When you can't catch your thoughts and you play the shot and you get out and it's a big game, it's a test match, the team hopes for something from you, you cannot deliver every time. It's it's impossible in the game you play. When you back get back to the change rooms. We saw some stuff on the amazing Amazon documentary of various guys being out and how they dealt with it. And we'll get to Archer a bit later on. 
But when you get into the rooms, what are you? Are you furious? Are you, that happens? Are you throwing stuff? Is it still dwelling with you that night when you're in bed or is it gone two minutes later? Uh, no, I don't dwell on it. Um, I do always look back. Um, sometimes I do blow up and probably unnecessarily. Um, but a lot of the time it's, if I, if I make a mistake and I'm upset at myself for playing a rash shot, um, that's when I'm at my angriest. Um, I hate getting out nonstop. Let's, let's get one thing straight. But, um, I can accept it when I get a good ball or, you know, um, you know, someone just got the better of you, you know, the, you just got to accept it and take your hat off and say, well done. And I probably won't, won't blow up, um, you know, as much about that. I'll just get on with it, but, um, try and learn from it. But yeah, one thing I always do is, uh, in the night, um, look back on my dismissal and say, firstly, where was my thinking? What was I, um, what were my thought patterns as, you know, the ball before, like as the, the ball was running in, what was my head doing? Um, was I, did I have an urge to hit him and was I um, trying to control that or was it, um, you know, wh- where was my headspace? And then why did I play that shot? I, I sort of look back and reflect and just try and learn. Um, and you've got to be, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself and that's how you you can learn from, from your mistakes out in the middle. So, um, yeah, that's part of, I guess, how I reflect. So we get back, I get you back to the Ashes now. Yeah. And it's the Oval. You're on 90-odd. You've never scored a Test 100. Jonathan Trott has ball in hand, Smitty. Were you able to control your urge then? Did you catch your thoughts or not? Oh, it didn't. Well, I did have thoughts of of hitting him over the top. You know, he was bowing these very slow, medium paces. (laughs) And uh, he had mid on and mid off up. What was I? Was I 94? Did I go? I think I went exactly to 100. Yeah. And I remember I was batting with Brad Haddon, who was um, probably wasn't a good influence on me at the stage <laughs> batting-wise. Um, he came up to me and goes, mate, just hit him for six, just smash him. I'm like, oh, mate, I'm kind of – I'd thrown away 102 games before at Old Trafford. Um, Graham Swan was bowling there. He had three out and I tried to hit him for six and I got out <laughs> for 89 and I was filthy at myself. Yes. Um, so I had just gone, mate, just hit him over the top. So – I ended up, oh, I waited, he, go, he did say, wait for the right ball and hit him. So I was kind of, I was there waiting and I got one that was just in the slot. Um, and fortunately, I, I don't even know how well I was watching that ball, to be honest. I, I was pretty nervous trying to score my first test 100. It was in my 11th test, I'm pretty sure. And um, yeah, hit it out of the middle and uh, fortunately it sailed over the rope. Oh, up in the air. Now, has he hit that for six? I think he has. What a way to go to your debut 100. Magnificent. First 100 in Test cricket. He's just bopped Jonathan Trott over mid-on for six. Get through the nervous 90s like that. Could have been a great story, actually. My my best mate was uh, at the game and the ball landed literally one seat away from from my best mate. So... um, (laughs) Would have been would have been pretty cool had he caught it. That would have been that would have been a good story. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, went to my first Test hundred and yeah, what a special moment. So talking about special moments, we've talked about um, the failure that is a constant in anyone's game at the top level, especially cricket. Twenty nine Test hundreds, twenty five one day international hundreds. What's it like to score a hundred, and what type of mental effort goes into batting out there for a long period of time to keep it going? 
Yeah, it, um, it, it can be difficult. Um, yeah, it's, it's about, for me, just, I guess, as I, I spoke about before, just sticking to my routines, uh, making sure I'm doing that um, every, every ball. But in between those, those moments when I'm, you know, focused and in my, um, in my zone, I guess, it's, it's about switching off. You know, when you're down the other end, you, you switch off. You know, you watch, you watch the game um, closely unfold at the other end. Like you want to help your, your mate you're batting with. But, um, you know, you, you just don't have to have the same level of focus. So switch off so that when you are on strike, you can 100% focus. Um, because it, you know, if you if you face what three hundred and fifty balls, I think I've, I've probably faced is my most. You know, that takes a lot out of you mentally. That'll do it, and it brings it up with a boundary. Well, that's the icing on the cake for me. Steve Smith caps off a golden period in his cricket playing years. Two hundred at Lords, third Australian to do so, and the first since nineteen thirty eight. So you've got to give you, yourself some some time to, to switch off in between balls. You know, I, when I'm on strike, I like to wander over to square leg and occasionally look at um, look at little bits of turf, um, you know, bits of, of gravel, and I you know I actually just hit them with the bat. I, I sometimes I practice my putting. I don't even like golf. Um, <laughs> I, I just putt um, just to I don't know, just have some fun and switch Release off, the and then yeah, and then bang, get back to it. Routine starts and next ball. Mate, um, teammates of yours, anyone that lived through what happened to your mate, Philip Hughes, um, have talked about it at various lengths in this podcast, talked to Aaron Finch about it, talked to Ricky Ponting about it, talked to Michael Clark about it, and they have various levels of, what's the best way to describe it? Comfort is not the right word, but they're all pretty open about it. What's your story of Philip Hughes? Yeah, um, he was. You might uh, be asking. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, yeah, look, he was a a good mate of mine. Obviously, he was he was my same age and grew up playing underage cricket with him. Um, you know, met him my my first time. I think we were sixteen in the under seventeens, and um, you know, got to know him really well and was a was a good mate of mine. And you know, thinking back to um, you know, I always think of how things could have been different. Um, and I remember the game where, you know, the, the incident happened, unfortunately. Um, I actually wasn't playing. I uh, pulled my quad, I think, two days earlier um, in a, in a one-day international game, I think it was. Um, and then we were going back to play shield cricket before the, the first test. And I, I didn't play that game because I had a quad strain. So, you know, I always just think, like, if I was out on the field, would you know, something be different, would I, you know, would someone have, would I have misfielded it or whoever I wasn't playing, um, whoever wasn't playing in my place would, you know, something different have happened and would it all be different? Um, so I kind of, I don't know, I kind of um, was a bit down that I wasn't out there, um, felt like I'd changed something, I don't know. Um, it was a weird feeling but, yeah, look, that was... Um, you know, it was a tragedy the, to, to lose one of your good mates um, playing the game that he loved and doing what he loved. Um, and, yeah, it was, uh, I guess, that I wasn't out there. It was probably, 
it, it would have been a lot harder having been out in the field probably. Um, but uh, I remember I was, um, I was at home on the couch. I was icing my, my quad and I got a, um, I got a call from uh, Richie Callender actually. Oh, of, a horse um, racing he was at, Yeah, he was, he was out at, um, he was out at the, the Shield match watching and um, he gave me a call and he said, oh, your mate um, Phil's just been hit in the head. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, um, all right, is, is he all right? And I'm like, I just thought, you know, you never expect anything like this to happen. It was kind of like, oh, he, like, he'll be okay, won't he? Like, he'll, he'll just shake it off and he'll be okay. And then he was like, no, nah, he's, um, he's on, the, uh, on the ground, like he's, he's out. And I was like, jeez. Um, and I sort of, I just took the ice off my leg and I like, I went straight to the ground. Um, and I remember getting to the ground and, um, I I walked into the, into the dressing room, the New South Wales dressing room. And it was just, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Um, looking at guys' faces, there were guys in tears, guys that just looked like their, you know, their, their faces were just pale looked like they'd seen, go- seen a ghost um, and they just, you could hear a pin drop, like there was no noise. It was, it was just pure s- silence. Um, and I walked in, I've just gone, like, what's, what's going on? Like, I didn't, I didn't really know. Um, so I think I went up to, might have been Stephen O'Keefe possibly. I went up and said, like, what's happened? And um, he's like, mate, it's not good. Like, didn't say anything, he just said, it's not good. And I said, what do you mean it's not good? And he goes, like, we don't know if he's going to, like, make it. What we saw was horrific and, like, we don't know if he's going to make it. And I just didn't really know kind of what to do. Like, I was, I kind of ended up being a bit like all the others. My face just went pale and I was in kind of shock, I guess, Um, because you don't expect, you don't expect that, like, on the cricket field. You know, I've never, ever thought of the game that way to think that someone could could die out in the middle. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, it was pretty horrific um, to walk into something like that. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know what more to add. You know, I, I miss, the, miss the little guy uh, every day. He's, he was a good mate of mine and, you know, an amazing cricketer as well. As, as, as young people, we don't confront death, Smitty, and as athletes... The guys and girls typically think of themselves as bulletproof, so it's so foreign to you. Did you have the opportunity to go and see Philip? I know talking to Ricky about going into the hospital and and how he found that. Did you get the opportunity to say goodbye to Philip? It's a, I don't even know if that's the right way to ask it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I I went into uh, the the hospital and uh, went into um, into the the hospital room and I just. Um, looked at him and you know he's he had the his chest was still pumping with the the machine and looked at his face it was just all like bruised and it just it wasn't a a nice thing to see but I I was kind of I didn't know whether to go in and see or not and I'm glad I did I went in and sort of said said goodbye and um when they said that he was you know they were going to switch off everything um you know, went in and said my goodbyes and, yeah, just broke down really. I was, I was um, 
like like a lot of the guys, you know, I was I was in a pretty dark space there. It was, um, yeah, it was wasn't a good time, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, like I said, still still miss Phil to to this day and think about him a lot um, when we're, when we're playing. Um, particularly every time we walk out on the SCG, it, it's kind of never really felt the same in a way. The test match directly after, and, you know, it was a it was a difficult test match to watch, and you made 160-odd and 50-odd and in, I think it was against the Indians in Adelaide. How difficult was it to go and play cricket after that? Yeah, it was. It was very hard. Here we go. He works at leg side. That could well be it. First ball after the break, it will be. Test match 100 number five for Stephen Smith, and that is a terrific innings. I think he might be walking over to the number on the ground here to recognise Phil Hughes, and that's terrific stuff. Uh, I remember it kind of just felt... It felt just like an irrelevant game, um... You know, we knew we sort of had to to get out there and and play, and I think that that probably um, helped me in in how I scored the, the runs I scored. You know, sometimes you just when you when you don't really care or you um, you know if you're sick or you know you've got something else going on, you're not actually concentrating or worrying as much about the result or worrying about what's going on. You you just sort of see ball, hit ball, um, and that's kind of how it was. Um, it kind of felt irrelevant, um, but we knew we sort of had to go out and do it. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't easy, um, and, yeah, it was, a, it was a very tough week. Pressure, Smitty. You end up dealing with pressure because your own performances. When we sort of move into the middle part of your career, um, against India is that series I've written it down I've written it down here 162 and 52 then 133 and 28 when you take over as captain 192 and 14 117 and 71 and at this point it's that famous headline the best since Bradman people expecting you to make runs every time you bat it might get there it might how do you cope with the pressure of expectation going out there as the number one batsman on the planet um yeah i i don't treat it any differently to when i was playing as a kid like <laughs> you know i'm just there i'm doing what I love and, you know, I love batting. So I don't don't let all that sort of thing get into my mind or in my head and cloud my, my judgment or anything. I just go out there and, and do the the best job that I can. Um, you know, I, I love being out in the middle scoring runs. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't like to think of, of all the – or add or put any more pressure on myself. You know, there's already enough pressure when you're playing international sport to – to be putting more on so try and stay as relaxed as I can um 
I probably put more pressure on myself at training, um, making sure that, you know, I prepare myself as well as I can. And if I, I know that if I prepare myself um, as well as I can and get myself in a good headspace, then when it comes to game time, you know, it's just about going out in the middle and playing and trusting my instincts and, um, and playing the game. So, yeah, I, I don't like the extra pressure, that's for sure, as in putting extra pressure on myself. That's it for Steve Smith Part A. So much more still to come in Part B. See you there, dudes. Listener.